It takes patience because change is hard. It's difficult to break subconscious behavior patterns that we've always done, that in many ways that we were born with, dynamic that we had to learn how to survive and thrive. It's part of our identity and it takes a lot of work and it takes effective communication without being defensive. Welcome to the Really Personal Podcast, where there's no room for sugarcoating and beating around the bush. I'm your host, Marianne Addis. Things are about to get real, y'all. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode on the Really Personal Podcast. In a recent episode called There's More Beneath the Surface of an Avoidant Attachment Style Than You Think, I was utterly blown away by the number of DMs and messages I received about that particular episode. So it only seemed fitting to have an in-depth look at one of the most common attachment duos, the anxious and the avoidant. Now, I'm not going to come on this platform to give you a step-by-step plan that will free you from the challenges and struggles that arise in this anxious avoidant I personally have been through the ringer in my set of past relationships where I lean more towards anxious. I firmly believe that with intentionality and openness, the anxious avoidant partners can manage and navigate towards a fruitful and life-giving relationship. This episode will focus more on relearning rewiring and reprogramming a lot of our old stories around what it means to be in a relationship, especially between the most common anxious and avoidant attachment. Being that music is my second language, I couldn't help but lead off with the notion of dance and rhythm. Essentially, the movement, the navigation, and the trust that comes from learning and depending on your partner. It also involves vulnerability, risk-taking, patience, and intentionality in the anxious avoidant dynamic. And that includes the unrecognized and the unexpected upsides of what this relationship can be. We're often fed with the advice that if you're in a relationship with someone with an avoidant attachment, you should give up now and run. And if you have an anxious attachment style, avoidant tendencies can trigger fears of abandonment. I see it on social media quite a bit on how avoidance are toxic, they are not worth your time, and that you should just leave now because they're only going to hurt you. Relationships face difficulties regardless of the attachment styles. Navigating through those conflicts can lead to building stronger bonds and assured dance partner to lean on and to trust. I think that we could summarize the dance and rhythms of anxious avoidance or whatever relationship attachment as an invitation to meet in the middle rather than hanging out at the extremes of our attachment patterns, which might be extensively conflicting. It goes without saying that there's a distinct reason why the anxious avoidant pairing is very common. The dynamic duo are drawn to each other because they each recognize in the other their deep inner child and what that child was lacking. I hope to provide healthy ways to akin to this secure center point to set a rhythm 
a comfortable rhythm that yields to a healthy and secure relationship. So first, let's unpack these attachment styles a bit more. If you have not listened to the episode about the avoidant attachment, I highly suggest that you do. So the anxious avoidant people are very drawn to each other, as I mentioned previously. It's the most common dynamic because they each recognize each other deep inner child and what it was lacking and essentially what each other's wounds are. The anxious attachment, now they come from an environment with inconsistent caregivers where their parents may have been helicoptery or used the child to meet their own emotional needs. It's definitely an inconsistent vibe. So anxious people crave consistency and stability and subconsciously see this in the avoidant. Someone with an anxious attachment style needs a lot of clarity, connection, and communication with their partners. They need a lot of reassurance to know where they stand with someone. Their biggest fears are abandonment and unworthiness, at least at the conscious level. Their unconscious fear, though, is of intimacy. Typically, they haven't had secure and safe partnerships romantically, so they don't really know how to accept it, and they end up being the pursuer and looking at their partners as savers for the trauma that they typically have experienced in the past. On the other side of the coin, we have the avoidant attachment. They come from an environment where their parents or caregivers were not emotionally supportive. They didn't really deal with displays of emotions. And as a child, they probably felt the door was often slammed in their face with regards to their emotions and exhibiting emotions. And they learned to be very independent. So their deep wound, the thing that they were really missing was that emotional support. And they subconsciously see that the anxious person can provide this. Someone with an avoidant attachment style is essentially the opposite due to their own trauma. They need a lot of space and independence away from their partners. They get easily overwhelmed by their emotions and they fear being controlled, criticized, and manipulated. However, they have the opposite fears as well. At a conscious level, the avoidant know that they fear intimacy unconsciously, though they also fear abandonment and being unworthy. Just like their anxious counterparts, avoidants are conscious of those fears. Now, when they come together, it's important to recognize and acknowledge that a person is not anxious or avoidant. It's their behaviors, and these behaviors are triggered. And in the anxious-avoidant duo, we're going to talk about those triggers and how to navigate through those triggers. The anxious avoidant exhibit the behavior once the relationship dynamic has reached a certain point that involves being, a lack of another word, more serious. The avoidant will start to pull away. When the two come together, this can seemingly be a toxic relationship, though it feels really good at first. It feels good at first because they come together, they bring their energy to the table, and the avoidant person realizes that they can pull away a little bit, which feels real good to them because they like their sense of independence and stability, and they like to feel in control. 
When the avoidant pulls away a little, the anxious person comes closer and fills that extra space with energy, emotion, and communication. And this feels good to the anxious because they didn't feel that way by their parents. They want to share and be drawn closer to the other person. But when the avoidant pulls farther away, the anxious person will feel this lack of energy, this lack of bonding, and it consumes them. And they will do anything they can do to try to regain that energy, to regain that bond. The avoidance pull away will result in them diverting their attention to other things such as work, school, friends, or hobbies. And the further they pull away, the more anxious the anxious attacher becomes. You start to recognize this off balance, this off rhythm that occurs in this specific dance between the anxious and avoidant. There's no longer an equal partnership. If you can imagine two people on a dance floor and the avoidant is the one wants to pull away and go to the opposite side of the dance floor and the anxious person is holding on for dear life on the avoidant sleeves. Obviously, this is tension. This is a polarization. This is toxicity. One is trying to move away and one is holding on and trying to go with that pull without being invited. And this is where I want to dive into. It's this part. It's this occurrence when the avoidant is pulling away and the anxious wants to draw closer and try to fix it and try to communicate. This is where typically the anxious and avoidant will break up or the avoidant will, you know, you have the fearful and dismissive will just ghost or say, I can't do this anymore. Before we get to, I can't do this anymore. This is where we're going to talk about the dance and rhythms and about what the voidant and the anxious person can do at this point to try to make the relationship work. But as mentioned before, it takes intentionality. They both have to want it. They both have to be willing to put in the work. They both have to be willing to be patient with themselves and their attachment styles and their wounds and their triggers. Now, the million-dollar question is, can the anxious and avoidant relationship work? Absolutely. I have friends that have beautiful and loving relationships. I personally have been in loving relationships with an avoidant because I tend to lean more anxious. But I worked really hard to become more secure. And even now in the dating scene, I'll notice like, oh, I haven't heard from this person. I start to feel that trigger, that anxious part of me coming out, but I'm able to manage it and just stop it before it takes off and consumes me to where I feel more secure. Like, you know, it doesn't matter because what I really desire is intentionality. Someone who wants to work towards relationship and one who doesn't is very clear to me that that's not the person that I'm going to put my energy and focus on. So it is very, very, very possible to have a loving relationship between the anxious and avoidant. But here's the caveat to that. Both have to be self-aware, willing to work on themselves, their own attachment styles, and willing to work on their relationship together. It takes understanding each other's differences in the attachment styles. 
I wish that I had this wealth of knowledge in my previous relationship because I have learned a tremendous amount of what I can do the next time around if I'm in another relationship with an avoidant. It takes patience because change is hard. It's difficult to break subconscious behavior patterns that we've always done, that in many ways that we were born with. We came into this world in a family dynamic that we had to learn how to survive and thrive. It's part of our identity. And it takes a lot of work. And it takes effective communication without being defensive. So how do I know that the anxious avoidant can work out? As I mentioned, many of my friends are in loving relationships. And I've experienced it myself. Of course, it didn't result in a marriage. But I I got a glimpse of it. And I know that it can work. Intentionality is key. And that involves putting effort into themselves and each other and thus seeing the progress, as well as being in a relationship with a self-aware dismissive avoidant. In order for these two attachment styles to work harmoniously together, you need to stop personalizing the needs of the other person. Now, why do I say that? Because they're opposites. They tend to trigger each other. For instance, when the avoidant partner needs space, they trigger the anxious person and the anxious person tries to reinstate the closeness. Giving the avoidant the requested space is frightening. Oftentimes, the avoidant person won't ask for space directly. They'll just do it and it freaks the anxious person out. On the other hand, the avoidant person criticizes and judges their anxious partner for the reassurance and the closeness that that they need. They think that they're needy. Each person has to stop the criticism and start being curious about the needs of the other person. Stop personalizing it and try to resolve your triggers personally. That's my quote. I'm going to say it again. Stop personalizing it and try to resolve your triggers personally. Ask and address directly to your needs. If you need reassurance, ask your avoidant partner. If you're the avoidant partner, respect the fact that it has nothing to do with you. If you're the anxious partner and your avoidant partner has asked you for some space or time away Know that that's a healthy part of a relationship and grant it to them. For a relationship to be healthy, it needs to be enjoyable. Each partner, by not personalizing, not criticizing, and being more curious can build a lasting relationship. And in general, building each other up, being more positive can help turn the dynamic and the rhythm around. It goes without saying that if you're the anxious partner, a lot of this work is naturally going to fall on you. You inherently leaned into that connection. Focus on the quality of the interactions, not the quantity. Know that space is healthy for any relationship to work. And the more you're willing to grant it, the more the avoidance will give you the assurance that you need as an anxious. Now, what are things that the anxious and the avoidant attached couples need to work on? Recognize what you bring to the table, not just the things that you view as inadequacies, but also your strengths. You're a whole person and you have tendency to only look at the things that you view as deficiencies. 
Look at everything. When you start to feel that pull, and this is the thoughts that come through you, I want to tell them how I'm really feeling or present an unmet need, but I'm nervous of scaring them off. That's a legit feeling. Or I can tell they're feeling kind of emotional and I'm just going to run away right now. I say call it out. Instead, change that narrative to this. I see you're getting emotional and it's making me uncomfortable, but I want to be there for you. You hear the difference between that and just being like, you're needy and I, I got to go. I'm out of here. It's, it's recognizing who the person is. It's recognizing their emotion. It's acknowledging. It's respecting their emotions. But the desire, the intentionality is like, but I want to be here for you. That's the intentionality right there. It's simple. It's not complicated. I don't know why it has become so complicated. It's just an easy thing to say to someone, but I'm, but I want to be there for you. Another thing could be, I really want to tell you how I'm feeling, but I'm really scared that you're going to run away, get mad or be annoyed, etc. I don't know what to do. That's a very vulnerable, beautiful thing to say and to do. I think it's also imperative that you should make a list of things that you really want from your partner. For instance, when I'm crying, please hug me without me having to ask you. Let's have an emotional check-in at the end of the day when I feel more settled and more prepared to talk about emotional things and then make an effort to actually do those things later. These are really constructive ways to really start building a fruitful relationship between an anxious and avoidant. Even if you say, I am overwhelmed and I need to take a beat. The anxious response is, I hear you. Please take your space that you need, but you need to come back. I'm here when you're ready to come back. And if they take, let's say they take weeks, you got to tell them you can't do that. You cannot. You need space, fine but you don't need to run away. There's a difference between space and running away. So you have to let them know that they're safe with you. At the end of the day, and this is what people that have been married for 30, 40, 50 years will say that they felt safe with their partner. This is building safety. I can see that if you, as an, let's say you're an anxious person and in the past, it has been difficult to voice your needs because it's been rejected. It's been mocked. It's been shuffled away. And so you're more reluctant to express your needs in the next relationship. My question to you is why put yourself through that same cycle of the possibility being dismissed? I think that you will recognize that if someone is, is dismissing your feelings and someone is saying that you're needy, gaslighting you, or not supporting you, I think that answers quite a bit about who this person is and whether this is a good dance partner. If this is a person that you want to get in life with. I have a friend that says, date someone that you are willing to go in business with. I like that. <laughs> that means that you utterly trust them. And, and as an avoidant, if you just feel suffocated, I've often heard the word from past relationships, guys would tell me that they feel paralyzed. They just feel so stuck and they're overthinking and they just can't breathe. Like they feel suffocating. Like they physically feel it. Their whole body is like alarms going off. 
I've had guys just take off and not let me know where they were. I've had a guy that said, Hey, I I just need a beat. And it was hurtful for me because you can't help but take it personal. And I had to learn that I can't take it personal. They have to sort through that out. They have to acknowledge that they have this attachment wound that they need to work on on their own. You're there to support them and guide them and be there for them whenever they need. As long as they don't just take off and they have a place to come back to, then you can build from there. And like I mentioned, having space is healthy. Expressing your needs is healthy. There's nothing wrong with either one of those. So yes, the anxious avoidant attachment is the most common, can often be toxic relationship, but can also be a very beautiful one. As long as you're both are adhering to the same goal, which is intentionality, patience, and acknowledgement of each other's wounds and triggers. So to reimagine the dance scene, as I mentioned before, of the anxious person holding on for dear life to the void in, let's imagine now on the dance floor, two partners working together. No matter which song comes on, whether fast, slow, Latin, R&B, country, that they can adjust, they can reassess, they can reprogram, relearn, rewrite their love story, and adjust to that environment together. Individually is very important. That's a major component. They have to work on it individually, but then also together as a partner. I really hope that this episode was very enlightening. I always try to end my episodes hope and love, and it would mean the world to me if you can leave reviews. That's another way to get these episodes out to other people around the world. It's been amazing to see that there's people in England, Turkey, Congo listening to the podcast, and that just means the world to let your friends know about this podcast. I know that it's doing good. And the way that I know that it's doing good is are, are the affirmations that I'm receiving through messages, DMs, and words of mouth. Lastly, I just want to leave you with this, that sometimes two people find each other with both broken foundations and they build together as a team to make a foundation that is indestructible. <laughs>